Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. You do have to be able to toot your own horn. You have to be able to promote yourself. People want to show all the things that they can do. It actually starts to differentiate you as a candidate. Well, how do I move? You know, it's about leveraging that network, talking to people about it, being very clear on what your goal is. Shift to this mindset of a fluid one. For me, the future of work is about fluidity. Many are realizing that, do we really want to slave away at something that we're not in love with? Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 37 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Connie Steele. Hi, Connie. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Harsha. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all of the supporters of the podcast and YouTube channel for their continued support and helping the podcast be recognized in Max List Top Career Podcasts of 2022. Please do subscribe, like, and share if you enjoy the content. Now back to the show. Connie Steele is a future of work and life expert, author, co-founder of management consultancy Flywheel Associates, and host of the Strategic Momentum podcast. With over 20 years of experience working at Fortune 500 companies such as AOL and General Mills, startup and scale-up organizations, high-growth tech companies, and consulting with C-level executives, Connie has observed firsthand how business is no longer straightforward, but collaborative and fluid. In her best-selling book, Building the Business of You, Connie shares the trends of tomorrow so professionals can form their own career mashup. Her term for the career of the future in which workers merge their skills, passions, and values. The book also teaches a strategic planning framework to help those take control of their career, because in today's world, you have to now be the CEO of you. Connie's perspectives and advice has appeared in Forbes, Authority Magazine, TechRound, and Thrive Global. Welcome, Connie. Thank you. That was very, very (laughs) sort of weird hearing your own bio, I guess. (laughs) It's funny, Connie. I mean, that's the one thing that guests constantly say. Um, And and in a way, I think that's quite a good thing because it shows that you're not a narcissist or a megalomaniac because... (laughs) Because I think most of us tend to undervalue our achievements. But sometimes I think you do need to have a reminder uh, of what you've done, what your achievements are. We tend to diminish the things that either either come to us easily or the things that we've achieved. I'm, what do you think, Connie? I 100% agree. On top of that, when you are a female, also for me, I am Chinese American. And so culturally, it's even harder at times to be able to 
toot your own horn, even though particularly in business, you see that, you know it, and you see that's how individuals many times can amplify their message or get ahead for that matter. But, you know, for me, culturally, I was taught not to. So when you hear it, or when you even try to write it, it, it's really challenging because you want it to be incredibly authentic, uh, yet not braggadocious. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a very fine line to tread, isn't it? Because you obviously want people to know about what you've done and your skills, but you just don't want to come across as a braggart. Um, and it's just an interesting line to tread um, both in your you know, career and your personal life as well, isn't it? Absolutely. It always is. I think for so many people, they know that they're if they're passionate about it, it's going to come through. And it's this mentality that well, people will just know what your talents are if you have that chance to communicate with them. Therefore, maybe opportunities will come your way. But the reality in today's world, but even in the past too, is that you do have to be able to toot your own horn. You have to be able to promote yourself. But when it's an extremely uncomfortable thing for you to do because you don't want to sound narcissistic in any way, the question is, how can you do it authentically? Because I think we all intuitively know when we connect with somebody who is truly their whole self, we're going to be drawn to them. We're going to want to know more about them. We're going to want to support them. No, no, totally agree. Um, And I I usually kick off the interview just asking a question about the arts because I'm a massive fan. So is there something you'd like to share with our listeners today? And this is not a test of coolness, so it doesn't have to be (laughs) obscure. Um, About the arts. So I guess my connection to the arts, it's the musical arts, I will say. Um, Well, I guess there's two sides of this. So in terms of the musical arts, it's connected to really my children. And the context there is that my oldest son happens to be a DJ and a rapper. And we started him quite early. Um, When he was nine, we put him in a DJ class because I saw uh, this opportunity to do a free DJ class. And I thought, wait, I would have loved to have learned that. And I just had this gut feeling, mother's intuition, right? Uh, But he took to it so easily and he's a natural. Knowing that he had this incredible talent, we fostered it, particularly over the years and and specifically over COVID, such that we started doing these virtual DJ dance parties, which then led him to getting hired for different opportunities. He started to create original music and he had launched an album of which, you know, at 14 years old, having over a hundred thousand streams on Spotify, you know, you're, it's very fulfilling to see a child's passion, which he wasn't even sure that he, he even knew about the space to be able to see that grow. And then with my other son, he loves to sing and write music. So similarly, we've fostered that and he's now created eight original songs. And so for me, it's, it's this connection to music in terms of being able to foster this talent and interest in my children and see that blossom, but also chart a path where they could lean into it as a career and very much, you know, this book um, and this journey I've been on and I've seen so many people have been on is how do you start to 
align some of those initial interests that you have and build upon them such that it could be an opportunity for you in the future and through building and testing and learning around these interests, you're at the same time creating relevant skills that you could leverage now and in the future. Cool. No, I just love that. I, I'm a big uh, rap and hip hop fan. So <laughs> I, I'm not musical at all. So I, but I, I love the way that people come up with the beats and everything. So cool. Yeah. L- lucky. Uh, your son is very lucky that he had <laughs> such a mom who was open-minded to go down that direction. So as I was doing some research about you, Connie, I was very amused because we share a very similar background. You know, I'm, I'm also the child of immigrant parents, uh, very academic, but I also did a lot, a lot of sports. So how, how was that sort of growing up? I would say that growing up as a child of uh, Chinese immigrants, I'm a first generation Chinese American. I felt a little bit like a black sheep. Academics, of course, were an emphasis in our household. My younger brother was the quintessential academic, you know, always getting straight A's, wasn't as socially he was, he was so, he was more of an introvert, but I was very social, very much the extrovert, always wanted to get out there and meet new people. Even though my parents, fortunately, were supportive of sporting activities and so forth, it still felt I had to conform to a certain standard that I had to fit into a mold. And it was challenging because I knew that I was a bit different. I wasn't going to fit into very specific criteria that they had for me. But maybe this happened with you too, is that there is an expectation that you align with their wishes because you are a reflection of their success in this country that you're in now. So while you really want to be just you and it doesn't fit with their expectations, you realize that you don't want to disappoint and that if they can't to some degree brag about your accomplishments, then you feel like you're a failure with them. So it's this somewhat of a weird purgatory, I guess, that I felt like I was constantly in. And it took me some time to figure out how to fully be me, but at the same time, honor some of those important principles, philosophies, um, and standards that my parents had of me. Cool. No, no, I, I can completely relate to that. And it's funny, both my parents are doctors, but they actively steered me away from the medical field. And I, oh, I, don't, really? think I, I don't think I would have been a good doctor, but I, I did economics with accounting and finance. So I, I was pretty obedient, uh, you know, <laughs> find something which would get me a career um, relatively easily. But um, sort of going back to, to you and university, I saw you studied maths and statistics at, at a master's level. Um, and I, I was surprised you didn't go on to finance because, you know, when I was working in finance, a lot of the, the guys uh, and girls who were doing the you know, derivatives pricing and stuff like that, it was highly mathematical. So did you have a particular kit, career strategy to go into marketing or did that just evolve? You know, that somewhat evolved out of this need to figure out what I was going to study in graduate school. So the reason why I got into math and statistics in the first place in undergrad was because of my father. He has a PhD in (laughs) economics and statistics. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but it was a requirement that I had to have a math major. So sticking to the stereotype, unfortunately, but knowing that, well, you know, you can't really go wrong with some you know, mathematically based uh, background. I did that, but there was also the expectation that I had to double major 
I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I tried a lot of classes, one of which was finance. I didn't like it. I tried actuary science, didn't like it. I took statistics. I actually liked it because I could see an application. Subsequently, the expectation after graduating was to go to graduate school. There wasn't this understanding that I was going to go get a job. I had no idea what job I would even get. So knowing that I was going to go to graduate school, I was thinking, well, what am I going to even do? Because I'm not going to get a PhD. So uh, true story, I went to the library. (laughs) I picked up vocational books, flipped through them to figure out what am I going to do with a math and stats degree? What can I do in graduate school and then subsequently have a good job? I came upon the discipline of marketing and learned that there is an area called marketing research, which is all about understanding consumer behavior to then help drive a lot of the strategies in the marketing field. And I loved it just by reading it alone. I'm like, okay, I think that's what I want to do. So then I took a marketing class, fell in love with it because I could really see the application of taking data and information, creating it into creative strategies uh, or, or even messaging and promotion to then guide people to the relevant products and services they may want. Loved it. So I realized that's what I was going to do. But the other thing that helped me realize is I was tapping into the right side of my brain. I've always been right brain and left brain. I've always been quite creative and artistic, but was forced to compartmentalize, frankly, because of this specific focus on the quantitative aspect from my parents. So in seeing that I could meld the two, I realized okay, this is the place that I want to go next. So that's how I got into marketing research and then eventually pivoting into marketing. And I think that's a great point you make about just trying things, experimenting, because I think a lot of people, you know, thinking about their careers and the career arc, uh, they think it has to be this linear path. But actually, I think people, it's changing so much. And, And sometimes, look, people make, you know, try something, they may make a mistake, but there's no shame in saying, okay, that hasn't worked. Let's look somewhere else. Um, and I, I love people who have these nonlinear stories, you know, like yourself and the other guests. Uh, try things, see how it works, uh, and and take it from there. But sort of post-university, um, you, you sort of moved into consumer goods and then transitioned into tech with AOL. Um, yeah, that must have been a fascinating time working in the tech industry. So absolutely. I transitioned into tech because at the time I was at General Mills, so in consumer packaged goods, you know, tech was really exploding and I could intuitively see how it was going to be fundamentally changing people's behavior and the way they shopped, but in the way they sort of perceived the world. And mind you, I was in the business of marketing research to understand consumer behavior, and I was so obsessed with it. I was reading everything I could, and I knew that I needed to make the transition in order to accelerate my own growth. I also realized that it was the time to pivot into a different discipline as well, because I knew that being a specialist in a very quantitative field wasn't the right fit long-term. I had loved what I did, but got to a point where I was getting bored of not just the industry, but just of the discipline. I think so many people go through that. So I had to chart a path. Well, how do I move from being in consumer packaged goods and in this role to making a complete switch? And that's where 
you know, it's about leveraging that network, talking to people about it, being very clear on what your goal is. I was fortunate enough to then land an opportunity at AOL where I was now in marketing. I could apply all those skills and be part of this really great new industry that was quite innovative. Uh, I, and this dates me, but you know, you have the opportunity to build things that really hadn't been created before. So versus having a very structured almost and very linear approach to doing things, it was greenfield. And what was wonderful for me was that of the people that were there, it just felt like an environment that was a better fit for me at that time because of the openness to trying new things, the ability to test and learn and experiment. I didn't even realize it at the time, but the kind of environment that aligned best with my own personality, uh, the different people's way of thinking and approaching was very much about, let's plan a flag. Let's try it. We don't always know the answer, but it is always about trying to see what could work and what didn't. And it was an environment that just embraced differences in thinking and also coming together to uh, really look at different perspectives. So, you know, for me, it was right after Time Warner merger uh, and subsequently people were excited. And so you fed off of that energy as well. No, I just love that story. And I think there's so many great points coming out of that. Um, as, as we were talking beforehand, Connie, um, you know, I um, was useless at tech till about five years ago. <laughs> um, so I was completely uh, the non-stereotype of a uh, Asian. I, I didn't like computers, <laughs> didn't like computer games. But but uh, about five years ago, I, I suddenly said, look, I've got to get with the program, got to get a smartphone uh, and make friends with some tech people. Um, and I, I, I actually started making friends with a couple and and they sort of got me onto the whole idea of you know, creating apps and and I think a lot of it is a mindset shift because you know if you're logical a lot of these things you can pick up and I think I had obviously a, like a mental block or my mindset was a bit fixed but but I, I think the the fascinating thing about tech is it's this you know agile mentality um, and you know almost failing fast and failing forward and then learning those lessons and then implementing them so the next round the next sprint um, gets better uh, and there's this amazing I think mindset shift where you're effectively um, you're, you're almost the product you're the CEO of you as you would say you're the CEO of a startup which is uh, Connie Steele LLC um, would you like to maybe talk about that the mindset because I, I just find that so fascinating absolutely well in today's new world of work what's interesting to me and also why I wrote the book that I did is that you now have a actually two generations in the workplace, those millennials and Gen Zs that have grown up in a world where it is agile, it is nimble, things are constantly changing. They want to be trying new products, apps, experiences, because now you can with the internet, it gives you this level of breadth of knowledge, but exposure to the level of optionality you now have. Very different than the two prior generations where it was a bit more fixed in light of the way the world worked. It was more of a industrial line way of working. So you do one thing, it's built or it's passed off to the next person. So it's one piece at a time. 
And so it's as a result of technology that has opened up the world for so many young people by default, they have this agile mentality. It's, it's really um, almost an agile way of life now. And so what, what I see because of that, it has led to people realizing that we're now in this world where you do have to be the CEO of you because you are now a product and service on the web. The way for many people to conceptualize this is think of LinkedIn. It's just somewhat a big Amazon on the web for people and finding a job. Many folks, if they want to learn about you and what you've done, they're just going to go there first to see your profile and decide whether or not they want to engage with you. So if you think about that unto itself, you as an individual now do think about how are you positioning yourself for success? Whether you decide to do your own thing or whether or not you choose to stay within a company, it's important that you reflect the value you bring to the table, which is why it's important to now consider what do you as a business want to stand for and how are you offering specific value to those that you work with or those you could work with. And I just love that because essentially um, it, it's almost like a marketing tool you know, for yourself and you're trying to show, uh, and I, I wouldn't say you're trying to be um, present something that you're not, but you're trying to say, look, this is what I can do for you. This, this is how I can bring value. And, and I just love the way that it, it almost cuts through the noise to some extent, because, you know, if you write a blog, uh, you know, do a podcast, create a video, then you're you're almost cutting through the recruiter and getting straight through to the person who's making that decision. And then Absolutely. it's so much and it's so much easier then for that person if you've created good content to say, okay, it's not that I like the person, but look, here is something that Connie has done or Harsha has done. It's good. Take a look at it. Um, whereas before you always have these gatekeepers in between you and the decision makers. I mean, what, what do you think, Connie? The other benefit too is that it enables you to showcase your full set of skills and interests because let's face it, we are not one-dimensional. However, in the past, we had to show a certain side of ourselves, which is the work side. And the work side had to conform to what we believed a recruiter or company would want to see, which was very specific within that particular industry. So it showed one lens of you, but now people want to show all the things that they can do. It actually starts to differentiate you as a candidate in a very different way. So while you could be an amazing finance manager, what makes you very unique is that if you have this side hustle or interest in music or in art, maybe you're a baker for that matter, who knows? But that adds another lens to who you are, the way you think, maybe the way you even communicate and approach a problem. And the reason why that's also very beneficial is that when you're in your role, inevitably you leverage all those skills that you apply in different areas of your life to your job, given that the roles that we have and anything that we do are rapidly changing. You never know how those complementary skills could be leveraged in your main job in the future. 
how many of us have constantly seen where you're in a role six months later, it completely changes because the dynamics of the business or somebody left or your boss left. And all of a sudden, you now have new responsibilities or they see, wait, you can do this? Had no idea. I would love for you to take on this other project. And then all of a sudden you've just pivoted or you've now kind of created your own super job because you are what you've been scoped to do plus, plus, plus. I just love that, Connie. And now, obviously, everybody who's listening to this podcast, um, they'll realize that we're hip hop fans. So <laughs> there's like a community of people out there. Connie and I are your people. <laughs> you can put some beats together. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and I can put my son on this and he'll come up with a great beat for this. And he'll do a rap song for you, Arsha. <laughs> Excellent. No, but but I, I love that the whole idea of, you know, um, yeah, the, the, it's a bit like the Wild West out there and uncertainty. And I think that's one of the points that you bring out in your book, that things are changing so rapidly. You've got COVID, you've got you know, things going on, you know, these uh, global political issues going on in the world. And I think you know, for, for some people, it's, it's very hard because I think as human beings, we don't like change. But I think the only certainty now is uncertainty. And you have to be able to deal with that. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be very difficult for you, um, not just in the workplace, but in your you know, personal life and everywhere else. I mean, what, what do you think about that, Connie? 100%. I like to tell people that you know, change is constant. Uncertainty is the new certainty. Because it's so true. In the past, if you think about this 10, 15 years ago, you know, the macro world at large was pretty constant. The things that were variable could be work or maybe it might be your home life. So one of those out of the three might be changing at a certain rate. But now all three are changing all the time, which creates a lot of anxiety for people. You know, when you don't know, you know, politically and with the planet, you know, there's all these dynamics that are constantly occurring. But because of the pandemic and work, things are shifting. But then that impacts you know, your personal life. Work and life are completely intertwined now. It creates a lot of you know, discomfort for us. And when you have a very fixed mindset and a very sort of fixed way of working, it creates even more anxiety because you don't know what to do because your playbook that you used before isn't going to work in the future. So then it's important now shift to this mindset of a fluid one. For me, the future of work is about fluidity because of the fact that so many different facets are changing in our life. And when we take a step back and realize why is that the case? Well, besides the fact that you can work anywhere, anytime, which is one, many people are talking about remote versus hybrid versus in-person. The other main piece is realize that the tools that we have, for example, are constantly changing as a result of technology. So to connect with people, you could be on Zoom, you could be a go-to meeting, you could be on WebEx, you could be on whatever, but you're, you're using different email platforms and so forth. So the tool sets are constantly changed. So that can create unease. But the other piece is if we look at ourselves as individuals, which is really the crux of why I wanted to write this book in the first place is that we as individuals are changing all the time in terms of what we want, what we need, what we believe, what's going to motivate us. And also our identity. Because for example, for you, you have a lot of different facets to you. You know, while you're a podcaster here, <laughs> 
You have so many other dimensions too, and you're constantly context switching between all of them, right? So you have to fluidly pivot in order to create the traction you want. In my case, it's the same thing. I'm also a mom, but I have to switch between being a mom and being a podcaster and doing my consulting business and working with clients. And it can be a lot, but that is the way things are moving towards in the future. So we also see this other really interesting dynamic of those that are young, um, where they're now much more confident in expressing their personal identity, whatever it may be. And that is going to evolve. So if you see Gen Z's or even millennials saying, Hey, you know, this is who I am and continuing to express that over time, that's just going to translate into the workplace because they want to be their authentic self. So as a manager of people, it's about being accepting and understanding of what those different layers are and also going with the flow as a result. No, I think that's a great point. And especially, I think, as a manager, I think it's probably, hopefully, it's easier now to see who's producing and who's not. Because you know how it is, I'm sure, when you were in the office environment, there were those people who were very good at schmoozing the boss, going around and saying what they were doing, uh, typically men. Um, and <laughs> you know, the others who were actually doing all the work, they were just cursing and because they couldn't promote themselves as well as these other people. Um, and uh, hopefully, I think... Uh, you, uh, managers will be able to see who who are the people who are producing value and creating value, um, you know, rather than just talking. But you know, just moving on to your uh, book, Connie, would you like to just give a quick overview of the book? Um, I obviously enjoyed reading it. Sure. So the book is called Building the Business of You, uh, and it is the system to align passion (laughs) and growth potential through your own career mashup. Fundamentally, it is all about understanding what the future of work means at a human level, which is what I said earlier. It's about being fluid and understanding that the world of work is about fluidity, not technology specifically, which is what you hear a lot of the narrative being about. But most importantly, what does it mean in terms of what we want out of our careers now, because what I've observed is that people do want something different. Their definition of success is fundamentally different. And there's a different way of going about approaching it, which is nonlinear in nature, which I know, you know, between you and me, that's what sort of drives us is that we love learning about these nonlinear stories, but that is now becoming more and more ubiquitous. And the other piece of this too, it is providing a system, uh, really this roadmap to help people understand what to do about it. Because the key insight that I saw by interviewing all these various people who had chosen a different approach is that they really wanted to be able to leverage all of their interests, skills, passions, hobbies, educations into something that really reflected all of them, whether that was a portfolio type of career where they had multiple streams of income and multiple interests that they could figure out how to pull together, or it was a super job. That being one where you have this primary role, but it gets to leverage all these different talents that you have. And that's where you feel most fulfilled because what people want is to be able to do 
interesting work that provides meaning, that fulfills this level of purpose, that life goal of purpose, not money. While everyone needs that sort of steady income, folks want something more because they've now realized, you know, in dealing with this pandemic in particular, obviously you're faced with that question of your mortality, right? So many are realizing that, do we really want to slave away at something that we're not in love with? That honestly, that was also happening prior to the pandemic, because as I mentioned before, if you look at these four generations, I'm going to say five generations in the workplace, the two younger ones who mind you are larger than the two older ones, just in general population wise, not all of Gen Z are working yet, but in 10 years, they will be. They look at the world differently. They look at work differently. They look at what they want out of it differently. That's just important to understand as a leader, but also as an individual to really embrace what it is you're trying to do, create a plan around what it is that you want to do. When you're able to chart out this clarity of what your goals are and that roadmap of how to get there, it will be able to help you create that traction that you're looking for. But this notion of strategic planning, which is why we had talked about, you got to be the CEO of you. To be the CEO of you, you need to build that strategic plan just like companies do. You have to have that roadmap. And a lot of times we're not taught that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just love that, Connie. And I, I, and in your book, you talk about how, you know, business is this shades of gray. And I think for, for, yeah. for people who have done well academically, it, it's very easy, you know, it, sorry, in the sense that you have an exam, you study for it, and hopefully you do well. Uh, and it's, as you were saying, it's quite binary. You either study, do well, don't study and, you know, don't do well. But I think with business, um, there are all these subtle things going on, all these soft skills. You know, how do you make um, friends with the, you know, you have mentors or have the right sponsors and how do you get them on side? Because there are a lot of subtle things going on there. So I think uh, when you do get into the workplace, you really have to be strategic. And and that's why I started doing the podcast and some of the work I'm, I'm doing is that, you really need to think about this in a strategic way. You can't be ad hoc and think, okay, I'm going to just work hard and people will notice, people will like me, they'll promote me. That, that's just not going to happen. So you really have to think, okay, where is it you want to get to? And then reverse engineer and think, okay, what are the small steps I have to take to get to that place? And I think that's what you're talking about in your book. Um, is that correct, broadly correct, Connie? Yes, You brought up such a great point that for so many, you do go into work thinking it is this meritocracy. You go in thinking it is black and white, just like school, work hard, you do well on a project. Therefore, I'm recognized. Therefore, that should logically lead to promotion or more opportunities and so forth. And the reality is, That's not always the case at all. Sometimes it is, but in many instances, there are so many other factors that influence an outcome. And if you're not aware of that, you're not seeing the big picture, it's hard to understand. So many people get quite frustrated because they don't understand why peers might be moving up when they may not have that level of talent 
or commitment to delivery. And so you see that there's this hidden game. And for many, a lot of us don't like playing the game, right? It, it seems inauthentic. But when you're able to take a step back and understand the relationships and how people are influenced, which gets back to that point of soft skills, how do you read the room? How do you build that necessary emotional intelligence? How do you also understand that the way to move forward in the right way is through people, right? It's not about the end outcome of the, it is about the end outcome of the project too, but you're dealing with people, their emotions, their own personal desires. So when you can understand that, which is one of those chapters that we talk about in the book is building those necessary soft skills that will help you better understand how to chart your course. It is not as straightforward. I think what's really important is to help people understand those different elements that enable you to craft the right path when you're clear on what it is your outcome may be. Many people go through their career saying, well, I think I want that promotion first, which all of us do when we start out. But then over time, you realize, well, that's not fulfilling for me. So what do you believe the next, what's that goal that you're really searching for? Is it this opportunity to have a level of freedom in your work to grow consistently? Maybe it's into pivot into a totally new area, but also have that freedom and flexibility where you can be at home with your family. When you look at it very big picture that way, what are the right roles? Who are the right people to work for that can help you accomplish it? You start to actually think differently versus, well, I need a job with this title, with this amount of compensation in this area, that's going to make me happy. The reality, that's not really the root cause that might be causing you angst in the first place. And and I think that's an interesting point. You really think about, be be honest with yourself as to what it is it what it is that you really want. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people aren't um, and they think they know what they want, but really, and it's maybe the title or the money, but actually that's not going to fulfill them. And then they get upset and you know, annoyed with their, their working situation. So I really think it's very much working on the inner game and thinking, okay, be honest, uh, figure out what is it you want, um, what type of work do you want to do, but also think about what you're good at. Because I, I love this. Um, have you come across Cal Newport? He he talks about, you know, uh, so good that they can't ignore you. Um, and I think it's really if you can create uh, this these skills, which are so good that basically um, anybody would want to hire you. Um, th- you know, that's so uh, important to some extent. Um, right. Totally. Yeah. And I think so much of that starts with this. The first part is spotting the trends. Uh, so. Another thing in the book that's probably helpful for listeners to know is that this system to help you create a strategic plan. So there's five parts. The first one, the first component is called spotting the trends. And that, to your point, is really understanding your inner self. That's part of it, but it's connecting it to the macro trends at large. Because if you realize that there is a particular industry or a company, and a role that seems to be something you're drawn to, understand it, learn why that is the case. Why are you drawn to that? And where are there opportunities that could be coming 
to bear because of the changes that are happening. And then start to align that to you, really understand you in terms of what are the environments that you like to work in? Where do you believe that you play best? What are the skills you already have that could connect with where opportunities could be in the roles, companies, markets that you're looking to pursue? So it's this spotting those macro trends, but looking at the micro trends to help you identify that white space. So this is where in business, some people may be aware of this sort of that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You're doing to some degree your own SWOT analysis to help you realize, oh, wait, this is potentially where I want to be. You can then plant a flag and say, all right, I think this is it. This could be one of the goals that I have which then leads you to the next component, which is start to build out the plan. Have something on paper. How many times have we had this cool idea or a desire? And it's in our head, but we never write it down. Once you write it down, it forces you to think through, how are you going to operationalize this, right? So once you can establish this is the goal, these are the objectives that I have, These are the approaches I'm going to take, those strategies. And then it's the checklist. What are those tactical things I'm going to do? Starts to become more real, doesn't it? When you have something on paper. But then inevitably, this third part, which I think is important, it's called preparing for change for a reason. It's because we get all excited, we have a plan, and then we start to implement it and we freeze. Why do we freeze? It's because we get nervous. We have fear. Fear gets in the way of us moving forward because we're afraid of failing. Why are we afraid of failing? What's causing us this sort of perception that we have in our minds that we're going to experience shame? We have anxiety over it. So a lot of this is that change management that we need to do on ourselves to know what's inhibiting us from even trying. And once you realize what that is, What's the smallest thing that you can do to help you build that confidence that it's not so scary after all? Because you're never going to accomplish this big goal in one big bite, right? You're going to have to bring them in the smaller steps. Then it gets into that point of learning how to build the network. But it's hard to know how to build a network that can support you if you're not clear on the goal that you set out that you want to do, right? So when you have charted a plan, you can then articulate the plan to the people you believe that could help you get there. Once they, if they're clearing it, then they know how to connect you subsequently to other folks or opportunities that align to what you want. And then the last piece is building those skills because in your plan, you should have charted out some of those areas that you want to focus on. But while I'm talking about in a very linear fashion, the reality is that this is quite iterative. As you know, when you started on this whole effort, to build this podcast and really explore this area to help people, you did set a plan. But I'm sure through this whole experience for you, it's been constantly iterating. You still have that same plan, but what it looks like has changed over time and it's improved and grown tremendously. And you've had such incredible success because of it. But you had some sense of what you wanted, but you're continually meeting new people, getting new information, spotting those trends to help you refine and get better. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that, Connie. And I think, look, you have to have this North Star, which you're trying, you know, aiming for. But actually, along the way, if you find uh, new bits of information or so I, I wasn't thinking about starting a YouTube channel, but then I had the Zoom video. So I started that. And, and, I, and I think, you know, with your sort of career, it's about, I think, doing the work doing good work but then you know there's also this sort of marketing piece in terms of you need to make sure that other people you know within your network or within your company know exactly what you're doing because you know people are so busy um say your manager they may not know uh, obviously they'll see some of your work but they may not know fully what it is uh, you're doing and the value you you bring so i i quite like this sort of analogy of you know there's obviously a, a content production piece but then there's also a marketing piece which you know like in podcasting you do the work but then you've got to get it out to your listeners and the audience and actually, if they don't know or um, like what you're doing, then you have to adapt or adjust and, you know, very similar to a, a working environment. A hundred percent. And take feedback from people as just a data point. It's information that helps you improve versus I think many times it's hard for us to face feedback in that we perceive it as criticism. And then that is then interpreted as failure in some form or fashion. But the reality is that if they're looking to help you, it's just ways that you can improve and you build this level of resilience because in life, nothing is ever going to go exactly your way ever, right? Things are, things are, moving so fast all the time that you're going to get new information to say, do it this way versus that way. So I think if you can shift your mindset and realize that input coming into you and treat it as positive, that it's valuable perspectives such that it can take you into new places, some may fit, some may not, and that's okay, but it's a data point, right? Then you'll be able to harness it in a way that could really move you forward and in places that, again, you would have never considered. So that's this whole piece of going with the flow, because when you assume the outcome and you assume all these things need to be fixed, you might be disappointed because it didn't go the way that you expected. But if you're open up and say, well, it could go this way, but there could be other alternative outcomes, I'm going to see how that could take me, then you're not going to be necessarily disappointed. You're going to see it as opportunity. So it is a bit of this. Yes, there's there's a plan that you have, but know that this plan is fluid in nature. But what you will then have is some indication to say this feels right, that I'm on the right path versus it being you have no idea that it's just A or B, that you're evaluating success in a very binary way. And this way, you know, well, if these stepping stones are leading me to potentially that, you know, right outcome, that compass that you're creating, you're going to continue to feel motivated by it and not stifled. Yeah, no, I, I just love that. And and Connie, we're coming up to the uh, end of our time. I obviously love talking with you. Um, are there any other points that um, would help our listeners, either if they're looking for jobs or thinking about you know, developing in their careers? The one thing I would say is so important in, in 
this new world of work is to build that skill of emotional intelligence. It, I know actually in some of the um, career resources, when they say, what are the top skills? They mention soft skills. And a few do mention emotional intelligence. And for those who may not know what emotional intelligence is, you know, it's about understanding this element of social competence and social awareness. It's really just understanding what's around you, but also it's this personal awareness and personal competence. It's within you. So it's really reading the dynamics of people, how they're feeling, understanding why they're feeling it, how that translates into their actions and behavior. And then similarly for you, understand how you are behaving, how you are impacting people. When you can align those two, that's how you're going to better understand how to navigate work, life, because you see there's the action and reaction to what it is that you do. And I will tell you, that is not something that I ever knew or understood when I started work because Asian culture is very black or white. It took me some time to see that there is this other element, which is, oh, I see how people are reading the dynamics of the room, taking that information almost in real time pivoting the conversation to something else such that it benefits their agenda, not in a malicious way necessarily, but it was all in the way that they understood people's body language, the words they were using, probably getting some insight into these individuals' motivations and needs before the meeting to coalesce to an outcome that individual wanted. And it was masterful, but you also realize that is how you personally can navigate what you may want. So I would say, you know, if there's any particular skill that people should learn to build and is something that you can learn, again, it was not something that I necessarily had in the beginning, but it is very, very valuable to have going forward. No, I, I just love that. And it's that whole idea of the inner game, how you can figure out, if you can figure out yourself and then figure out how you react um, when you're dealing with people. And, and, and this is a, a silly example. Say if you're trying to pitch something to somebody and they're just not in the mood, then maybe try and steer the conversation in a, a different direction, figure out what they're interested in. And then once you, it's like Robert Cialdini, form commonality or figure out yeah. what you have in common. Then when they like you to some extent, then have your ask. And then look, they may still turn you down, but at least you would have had a pleasant conversation in the meanwhile. So I think there are all the, always these opportunities out there to um, connect with people, aren't there? Oh, yes, absolutely. When you're networking, know that it's really about building that authentic relationship. So find that commonality. Don't go in with your ask and have it be about you, that's the fastest way to turn anybody off. If you want to build a relationship that can benefit you in the long term, and you have to look at things in the long term, not what can you do for me in the here and now, you have to connect on some level. And connecting is just about making a friend. So when you find that commonality, you're bonding over it, then you're more likely to want to get to know them more. They're more likely to want to get to know you. They're more likely to want to support you in the long-term because you have a common bond. So it's important for people to recognize that. 
Oh, brilliant. No, that's a fantastic note to end on. And and one final thing, Connie, um, I like to give my guests a chance to uh, give a shout out to somebody who's helped them in their career or just family or friends. Is there anybody you'd like to thank? You know, the person I'd really like to thank is my husband. Without him, I don't know if I would have found the courage myself to have done some of the things that I've had. So what's important, as I'm sure you've talked about, and you know, intuitively in your career, having that sponsor, that supporter, that champions you, that knows you really well is valuable because we can too often get into our own head, have the negative self-talk, not realize what our capabilities are because we don't want to fail. It really does take somebody who knows you well, who can help you get out of your shell, can help you see uh, areas in which you've got talent, but will push you out of your comfort zone. That's the main thing because they have confidence in you. So when you have people who believe in you and tell you, you need to do this because you have that ability that helps you so much grow in a way that you wouldn't have before. So it really is my husband who uh, has helped me get out of my own imposter syndrome, which I know (laughs) many women and and those who also are sort of Asian women in particular, we have. And when you've got somebody who could say, that's ridiculous, just go get out of your own head. It helps you a lot. Yeah. Write write that book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Brilliant. Eric, Connie, um, thank you so much for you know taking the time uh, this afternoon. Uh, well, actually, morning for you, afternoon in, in the UK. But th- thanks so much for taking the time to be with us and share um, yeah, your thoughts and your journey. And, and obviously, all your um, contact details will be uh, in the show notes. So if people want to connect with you, they can connect there or go to your website. And obviously, all that information will be in the show notes. Thanks once again, Connie. You you take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. I love this podcast. I think you've done just such an amazing job sharing great insights. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Connie. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.